0: The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Oh, do you wish you could do life over sometimes? You know, our friend Jonah, who was the rebellious prophet, who became the regurgitated prophet, we're going to see that he's the reluctant prophet, and he gets a chance to do it over. The first verse of chapter 3 in the book of Jonah is an interesting verse because it really kind of tells us what it's like for Jonah to be able to have a second chance. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to this great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This was Jonah's mulligan, if you will. This was his opportunity to get it right. The first time he was told to go to Nineveh, he rebelled, he ran away. And last week we talked about you can run, but you can't hide. And Jonah couldn't hide from God, even though he thought he could. He ends up in the belly of a fish, and God gives him a second opportunity. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, if you remember, because Nineveh was the Assyrian capital that had been terrorizing the Jews for many years. And the last thing on earth he wanted to do was to go to Nineveh and share the message of repentance and redemption to a people that he hated. But God gave him a do-over card, and he had this opportunity to do it again. And so I want you to know that principle number one this morning is this, is that God is a God of second chances. Aren't you glad? I mean, has there been times in your life where you just feel like, I blew it. I rebelled against God. I, I, I screwed this up. I messed this up. And praise God, he's given us an opportunity for a second chance. And the best do-over card we ever got is when Jesus was on the cross, amen? And when Jesus came to the cross, he said, you have all have an opportunity to do life over. And so this was an opportunity for Jonah to do his mission over again and to get it right this time. And I want you to see that it's really important for us to realize that we should never let our failures defeat us. And even though Jonah failed, he was at least willing to follow through on what God asked him to do. And we're going to see that his attitude wasn't quite right, but at least he did what God asked him to do, and God did an amazing thing in Nineveh. So Jonah obeys the word of the Lord, and he goes to Nineveh, and he proclaimed that in 40 days, Nineveh would be overturned. Let's read about it. Verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And you think, you got to be kidding. Why would they believe some Jew that they'd been terrorizing? What is up with that? The only thing I could think of is that if a guy came to me that had been in the belly of a fish and was acid-washed with seaweed around his neck, I'd have a tendency to think either this guy was nuts or he was telling me the truth. But more than that, obviously God had prepared the hearts of people. In verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That'd be nice if one person could just make a decree and everybody would repent like that, wouldn't it? And verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You know what's really interesting here? This principle that I see up to this point is saying that sometimes God has prepared the hearts of the most unlikely people to respond to his grace. You know, how many times have you sensed in your own life somebody that you really wanted to share Christ with, and you say, no way? that person's never going to respond. I mean, they are so far from God, they could care less. God taught me that over and over and over again in my life, that sometimes it's the most unlikely. You know, you pray for people that you think are maybe ripe or kind of low-hanging fruit that maybe might respond to the message of Christ, and then there's people like you say, "Uh, it ain't going to happen. And I remember one guy was a commander of mine when I was a police chaplain down in Phoenix, and he was my new commander. And so I went in and introduced myself to him in the office one day. And I said, uh, Commander, uh, my name's Tom. I'm the chaplain here. And he said, Well, let me just share with something uh, very honestly with you. He said, First of all, I believe in God. I don't need God. Number two, I'm not a real big fan of chaplains. I thought, Well, this is going to be a great relationship. <laughs> so we did go out to lunch that day to TGI Fridays at Bank 1 Ballpark. And we had a nice conversation. And I thought, you know, this guy is really going to be a tough nut. And I remember talking to his wife who worked over in the communications bureau, and I knew Carol pretty well, and I knew that Carol was a believer. And I said to Carol, I said, you know what? I think someday Steve's going to be going to church with you. And she said, hell will freeze over when that happens. Trust me. So I began to pray for Steve, and I remember coming into his office a few times where he was struggling with some personnel issues, and I could tell he was deeply frustrated and had a lot of anxiety. And I said, Steve, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he says, yeah, go ahead. So I prayed for him, and then I prayed for him again another time, and I would consistently talk with him, and little by little, I sensed his heart softening. And then one day, I was at communications bureau, and I saw Carol, and she said, guess what? Hell froze over. (laughs) He came to church with me. Steve gave his life to Christ. He actually ended up on staff at CCV for a period of time. And God really worked in his life. And it was a lesson that I needed to learn, and it's maybe a lesson that we needed to learn, and what Jonah needed to learn, is that even though these people were rebellious and terrorized his people, they needed Jesus. And sometimes the people that are most rebellious and the most unlikely are those candidates that God has prepared their hearts just for you to share. Verse 10 again says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You know, sometimes we're a lot like Jonah because Jonah didn't respond very well. But I want you to notice here that no matter how sinful people may be, God will always have compassion if they truly repent. I mean, these are unlikely people, and and maybe you're in that situation in your own life where you just feel like, no, God, he he can't be happy with me. He's disturbed with me because I've done so many things wrong, and I've messed up my life so much. And God's just waiting to say, I will have complete compassion and grace on you. If you just only get on your knees and humble yourself and repent, you can get your do-over card. And in this case, these were were evil people who were terrorizing the Jews. They were murderers. They were ruthless people. And yet, because they repented, God had compassion on them. And some of you may ask, well, did God change his mind? No, God didn't change his mind because when he made that statement to the people of Nineveh through Jonah, it was, if you don't repent... I will destroy your city. And fascinating, if you read the history of Nineveh, 150 years later, that city was destroyed. But in the meantime, these people repented and God relented. And in your own life, if there's something in your life where you feel like you've failed God and you've rebelled against God and you've done something wrong, if you repent, He will relent because of His grace and His compassion. See, God is a God of compassion. But what's really interesting here in verse Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. You say, what? See, Jonah was ticked off that probably close to 500,000 people had repented. You say, wait a minute, Jonah, you're a prophet. Don't you get it, man? You see, what I think Jonah was doing is what we often do with God, because he reminds God, he said, God, I knew you'd do this. I mean, for crying out loud, I know you're a God of compassion, and that's why I didn't want to go to to Nineveh anyways, because I knew all these people were going to get saved. It's like, come on, Jonah. You see, Jonah put God in a box of compassion. And, And I want to share this. This is really an important point. When we define the character of God, we must include all of his attributes, not just focus on one. What do I mean by that? You see, what Jonah was doing here was just focusing on the the God of love, the God of compassion. And that really kind of ticked him off in this situation. But in other situations, just recently what we've experienced here in Prescott with 19 firefighters, we say, well, why would a God of love or a God of compassion allow these men to be consumed by this fire? Well, wait a minute, time out. If that's all you're going to define God by, then you've got a problem, sure. But we need to be careful when we start defining God based upon our own perspectives, our own narcissistic view. You see, maybe we need to be asking the question, not only how could God of love allow 19 firefighters to be killed, but how could an all-knowing God allow 19 firefighters to be filled, killed? How, how could a just God allow this to happen? How could a righteous God, how could a holy God, how could a merciful God, how could a sovereign God, how could a God who has a plan for everybody's life? You see, when we start packaging God just the way we want to see God, we're in trouble. And we're going to be displeased, and we're going to be angry, just like Jonah. So let's see God in his fullness. Let's understand that God's way beyond our perspective. How do you define God this morning? You see, it's real easy to put God in our little box... And God says, his ways are higher than my ways. And so essentially what I think he was trying to say to Jonah, you better get a life, buddy. And we're going to see that more clearly in a minute. Well, let's read about it in verses 1 through 9 in chapter 4. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. He said, the reason why I rebelled is because I knew you were going to save all these people. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Boy, talk about a pity party. You would think he'd be rejoicing. I know if I was preaching and I saw an entire city repent, I think I'd be pretty thrilled. But not Jonah. He's pretty upset. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, having his little pity party, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Isn't it fascinating how God was still taking care of Jonah in the midst of his own reluctance? And Jonah was very happy about the vine, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it to make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What's really powerful here is the fourth, fifth principle that I want to share with you this morning. We often miss what God is doing because we see life through the lens of our own narcissism. You see, Jonah was disgusted for God having compassion on an entire city. Why? Because number one, in his mind, they didn't deserve it. What about us? They've been terrorizing and raping and murdering us all over the place. And God, you have compassion? You see, it was about Jonah. And then he says, I will look like probably a betrayed countryman because here he's the one that God uses as a vessel to redeem this entire city, and now he's going to feel like a complete traitor. So he was just seeing this whole event through the eyes of his own selfishness. Do you ever do that? you look at life through your own eyes of your own selfishness, and when God's doing something that you just don't get and you just don't understand, you kind of blow God off and get angry and ticked off about it? See, the point here is, is, is that there was a bigger thing that was going on, a bigger event, and Jonah could only see his own issue. And how many of us get so caught up with our ingrown eyeballs that we miss what God's doing? And here was a chance or opportunity for Jonah to be able to rejoice in what God had done and use him in his life, and instead he blows it and gets ticked off and angry at God because he can only see it through his own selfish eyes. So Jonah's angry about the city and angry that God gave him this plant, the shade, and then God takes it away. It's like, what else are you trying to do to me, God? You give me this beautiful plant to give me some shade while I'm having my pity party, and I really thoroughly enjoy it, and then you rip me off, and then you take it away from me. And here's the principle that I see here in that particular illustration that God was trying to teach Jonah, and that is it's not God's job to make us comfortable. His ultimate plan is for the redemption of men. When, when we have all this name-it-and-claim-it theology out there and we think that Christianity is a good life, which it certainly is, but to some point we've got to get this thing figured out that God has an ultimate plan for mankind, and that ultimate plan is to see people come to know Jesus. Jesus. And we allow our agendas and our selfish narcissism oftentimes in life to keep us from sharing what God wants to do because God may be preparing the very people that we just don't think are going to respond at that moment. And if we're not obedient and faithful in that, we're going to miss out on a great blessing because he's saying to Jonah, Look, Jonah, you didn't make that plant grow. I did. You see, Jonah, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about me being sovereign. It's about me being in control. So get a life. You remember the old purpose-driven life book that was so popular? What was the first chapter? It's not about you. And that's what God was trying to teach Jonah. This reluctant, regurgitated, rebellious prophet needed to learn that lesson. And it's so incredibly reflective of who we are. And before we get too judgmental of Jonah, aren't we all a little bit like him? And yet, you know what's pretty neat? God used him. He used him when he was running because there were a bunch of sailors who repented, right? He used him even because he was reluctantly obeying what God wanted him to do in an entire city repented and God can use us as frail and sometimes as selfish and as narcissistic as we can be he used Jonah so where do we go with this this morning my question to you this morning is this do you need to do overcard this morning wouldn't it be great if it was that easy that we could mess up something in life and we could just play the card and we could do it all over. You see, what's really cool about God is that He's a God of compassion, just like He was here in the Scripture. We know that He is bigger than that, but this morning He may want to have compassion on your life because maybe you're feeling guilty about something in your past, something whether it's being a, a, a poor parent or a, a husband or a wife or, or you've made some incredible mistakes, And you just felt like you've never been forgiven for that. And God says, you know what? I gave you a do-over card when Jesus died for you. And you can play that do-over card this morning if you get on your knees, in essence, in your own heart and repent. And God will relent. And God will have compassion for you. And you know what's really cool is not only do we get do-overs in life as a christian when we ask for forgiveness he said he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but he's also given us that do-over card where we first came and gave our lives to christ and he said not only am i going to do life do do the do over i'm going to completely give you a makeover and so if any man be in christ he's a new creation all things have passed away all things have become new so whether you need a do-over or a makeover this morning, you have an opportunity to do that. Because God is a God of compassion, and He wants all men to be saved. He wants all men to know Jesus. He all, all wants all men to know His forgiveness if there's real repentance. There's a second thought that I have here as I read this passage that really touched me this morning, and that was this. Are you obeying God out of obligation or passion? You see, we have, a, we have a, a way of creating a performance-based Christianity in our society. If, if we do certain things, if we go to church and we, we give to God our finances and we pray and, 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 and we go to small groups and we do all these things, then we're okay and that God would be pleased with us. And and I think about, again, the church at Ephesus, where the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. We we had a pastor and wife come and stay with us a couple of weeks ago. Many of you know that we minister to pastors and wives, and they came to our home, and and you could tell both of them were very tired and very depressed. There There was not a smile on their face. And they were really struggling. And what was really interesting was when I would talk to the pastor, he would say to me, you know, I really want to do what God wants me to do. I really do. And and I could tell he's a very teachable young man and he wants to do all these things right and he wants to be faithful. But I sensed that he was really serving God out of obligation and guilt. And he just needed to get his passion back. He needed to to have a come-to-Jesus moment and to be refreshed and get back his first love. And I wonder how many of us operate that way, where we're just like Jonah. Yeah, okay, God, I know I need to do this. I'm really obligated, I, I know you're giving me a second chance, and so I'll go talk to so-and-so, or I'll go deal with this, or I'll, I'll, I'll go to church, I, I mean, I know I need to do that, and so we do it out of I should have, or I ought, instead of I want, because I'm so in love with Jesus, and I understand what he did for my life, I'm so highly motivated rather than feeling obligated. And so I'm wondering, what is your motive this morning for obeying God? Is it out of obligation, brownie points, guilt? What is the motive? Or is it out of a deep love and a deep passion and understanding His great love and compassion and what He did for you? There's a difference. Here's a third thought. Are you willing to take that risk in sharing your faith to that unlikely person or if somehow you've just decided, ah, they're not going to respond. Who is it? Maybe it's a family member. I just had somebody share with me uh, in between services about a family member who was Jewish, and they thought, oh, he's never going to come to know Christ. I mean, not only has he got a, a, a bias, but he has a cultural and ethnicity issue involved, and it's just not going to happen. And they kept praying for him, and one day he gave his life to Christ. Is there somebody that you know, a neighbor, a friend? I was thinking of my neighbor this morning. I had a chance to tell him what I was going to preach on, and um, he, I don't think, has ever been in a church in his life, except for a funeral or whatever, and he seems to be an unlikely character. But I'm trusting God that maybe one of these days that he's going to give his life to Christ. And who is it in your life that you've been afraid to talk to, that you feel like, oh, they'll never respond? And yet God may be calling you. And are you a willing prophet or are you a reluctant prophet? And then this fourth thing that I wanted to share with you this morning are you really about your father's agenda? Seeing people come to Christ, you see, we were put here for one specific purpose, right? God gave us a commission. He said, go and make disciples. He said, we're ambassadors, we're only aliens, if you will, visiting this planet. And if you know Jesus Christ, you're a legal alien this morning. But there are a lot of people out there who still haven't gotten their green card, and God wants to have compassion on them, but he wants to use us to really reach those people. We have an opportunity to do that that morning of church on the grass, or maybe those opportunities come to you from day to day. Pastor Dan was telling me about a lady who shared Christ with an older lady this past week. And that lady accepted Christ. And she told Pastor Dan just a couple days later, she passed away suddenly. Who is it that God has put on your heart that, that you feel maybe is unlikely? Because, see, we need to be about our Father's business. And that's what God was trying to teach Jonah. He said, Jonah, it's not about you. Stop being so selfish. I'm the one that plants. I'm the one that waters. I'm the one that that causes the growth of that plant. And if I want to take it away or I want to have compassion, that's up to me. I'm a sovereign God. So stop having a pity party and get on board with my agenda. So where are you at this morning? Are you a reluctant prophet? Or are you passionate about your Lord? Do you need a do-over card? let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share briefly this morning about this guy, Jonah, who's always fascinated me. A guy that you used in a powerful way. And yet a lot of it was about him. And isn't that true about us? God, you use us and we're so grateful that we're vessels in your hands. And even though there are days where we just are obedient, out of obligation or whatever, that you still use us and you still have compassion for us and you still love us and you're still patient with us. But God, put in our hearts, burn in our hearts the need to fulfill the agenda that you have. And that's for all men to be saved. But I do pray this morning for that person that maybe needs a do-over card. Maybe there's a person sitting here this morning, Lord, that's never met you never got on their knees and repented and said, God, forgive me for my sin, for my past. I want to claim that do-over card. But not just a do-over, but a total makeover. If there's someone here this morning that wants to do that, you can do that either right where you're sitting, or if you want to come forward later and talk with Pastor Dan and others here in the front, please do that. If you want to know how that works, and you want to do a a complete makeover. You see, the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he's a a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything's wiped out. The slate's wiped clean and all things become new. But there's maybe some of you this morning who who have have just failed in some ways and you need that second chance. And I believe that God is a God of second chances. And so this morning, maybe you just need to whisper a prayer to him and say, God, forgive me man, I really messed up. I need another chance. Will you give me that opportunity, Lord? Would you forgive me? Lord, I don't want to be a failure. I want to be a success because I know I'm forgiven. So if that's you this morning, you can do that right where you're sitting. And if you too want somebody to pray with you, please feel free to come forward here during the last song or maybe after the service. Father, thank you again for this reminder of Jonah's humanity. God, we identify with him so much. Lord, I'm just so good. I'm just so thankful that, that you've given me numerous chances over my lifetime. You've given me the opportunity to repent and be forgiven. God, help us to realize that you are a God of compassion and second chances. And then I pray for that person that needs a makeover this morning. Don't let him put it off any longer. Help them to take that step. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.